0: If you wanna start an online business, you're probably gonna need a website, but could you shortcut the process by just buying one that's already working? To find out, it's time for another Side Hustle Showdown. What's up, what's up, Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show because relying on one source of income, it's a fragile way to live. We've been working on building our financial resilience through entrepreneurship for almost 400 episodes Thank you so much for joining me today and really each and every time you tune in. Today, we're diving into another friendly uh, online business debate. This one is build versus buy when it comes to income producing websites. And I've got a couple powerhouse guests to help uh, talk through this one. First up is Mark Webster from authorityhacker.com in the Authority Hacker podcast. This is one of my favorite resources for all things SEO and affiliate marketing. He's going to be representing the build side of this conversation. And in the other corner is Dom Wells from Onfolio.co, which among other things has a management service for website investors. He's been in the website building, buying and monetizing space for quite some time. Both of these guys have. Stick around in this episode to hear how these guys think of niche selection, their advice on marketing and monetization for new website builders and buyers, and how to avoid the biggest risks on both sides of the debate. Notes and links to all the resources mentioned in this one are at SideHustleNation.com slash Showdown4. Now, one thing I've discovered lately is that I really like to read stories where there's some sort of narrative and plot, whether that's fiction or nonfiction. For example, I've been into, I'll call them business thrillers like Bad Blood, which was the story of Theranos, and Super Pumped, which was the, the story of Uber. But for other nonfiction, that's where our sponsor Blinkist comes in. With the Blinkist app, you get unlimited access to this huge library of professionally done book summaries. All the best stuff you need to know condensed down into just 15 minutes text or audio. It's perfect for busy people like us who have an appetite for reading and learning and understanding that it's important, but not necessarily the time. Blinkist has got thousands of best selling titles available, with more being added all the time. And right now, Side Hustle Show listeners can claim a special offer at Blinkist.com slash Side Hustle. That'll let you try it free for seven days and save 25% off your new subscription. That's Blinkist, B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T dot com slash Side Hustle. The first voice you hear in this one is going to be Mark's. Ready?
1: Let's do it. The main advantage of building your own site is you have complete control over the direction and the the framing of it if you're purchasing a site you're very much limited by the way they've set it up the positioning they've they've established up until that point so if we take the dog space for for example or the pet space if you buy a site which is like a, a labrador dog site then you're kind of restricted to, to doing that but it may at some point make more sense to expand to to other dogs Or it may have actually made more sense just to start a a broader pet site, or rather than focus on a specific dog, go into a type of dog food. You can do whatever you want. You're starting with a blank slate when you you build your own site. Now, if you know what you're doing, then that is obviously, I I think, a huge advantage because you can focus on the areas where you think either you're going to make the most amount of money or you're going to enjoy more. What does that early stage niche research look like for you today? It's a bit of a rabbit hole, to be honest with you. It's a mix of starting with an idea and then looking at what the competitive landscape looks like in there and going down various rabbit holes. So for example, you might be, let's take the dog space, for example, you might be looking at that. And as you're looking at specific, let's say breed keywords, you you come across a, a Yorkie site and then you start putting that site into a tool like Ahrefs looking at what they're they're ranked for looking at the amount of traffic individual pages are are getting and then you you might start noticing that they they have this section on I don't know dog toys or a specific kind of dog beds or something and that that's getting a lot of traffic and they're targeting maybe like different different breeds with that and then you might go there and say oh actually they recommending this affiliate program and then you go to that affiliate program and they say actually they pay really high commissions on new customers so that's that's a kind of a good angle or a good good kind of strategy there, and then you move on to the next another competitor, and you you may find that they're taking a different approach and they have like a different way of monetizing there, or a different way of of generating traffic, a different style of structured page that they have. So it's it's really just about spending a, a huge amount of time exploring all these little rabbit holes. Learning a lot as you go and pulling that all together into a sort of succinct vision for what what your website should be. I I think that when you purchase a site, you rarely do that. And so you can often miss out on a lot of these small opportunities that, that generate can potentially generate really high amount of revenue.
0: You're kind of looking at the money pages on competitive sites, like, hey, what are they linking to as affiliates? Like, what does their traffic look like as far as estimating that on certain tools? You know, you're in the dog space or you're giving the dog space because you just got a puppy. Do you typically start with that? Oh, here's something that I'm interested in, that I'm passionate about, that I at least
1: care something about to start creating content for? I think if you're starting a site for the first time or you haven't really done this to a great level of success, it's very important to work on something that you're very interested in because when you start a site, it takes a long time before you're, you start making any meaningful money. And the biggest risk for you is your motivation and dropping out before you reach that, that point. For that reason, I think it's very important to, to work on working in a space where you're, you're passionate about, you're interested in. And you like learning about because that enjoyment will sustain you through that kind of dip before you, it starts taking, taking off.
0: Yeah. I like that. Your biggest risk is your own motivation and, and the fact that it will wane over time. If, if it's not something that you're interested in, I've definitely found that in the niche sites or authority sites that I attempted to create, but soon neglected because I was like, I don't, I don't really care about this. Why am I, why am I writing about this? This is awful. Dom, on the buying side, is that something that, you're looking for are you more niche agnostic at this point
2: i am probably more agnostic but i wouldn't necessarily say that everybody should be for me i'm buying sites at the volume where i kind of have to be niche agnostic because there's not enough good deal flow out there that i have to take a look at anything but if someone was just going to buy one site and they were going to run it themselves then i would i would agree like when mark was giving his opening thoughts uh using the labrador example i agreed with a lot of that as well so i don't think this is going to be a a binary i i'm pro buying discussion but some of the negatives are also an opportunity so well let's say you bought a site that was like i love labradors.com then yeah you're going to be pretty limited to your ability to stick with labradors but if the site was maybe it had a broader domain name and Labradors just happened to be the first vertical that had taken off then for me that's an opportunity because now you think okay I can expand this site by adding more content on other dogs, for example and I'm going to get there faster than if I was starting a site from scratch because this site's already got authority it's already got this topical relevancy in the dog space. Now that being said Mark's definitely right that you kind of have to take over this site which can be a bit of Frankenstein and You get under the hood and log into WordPress for the first time, and you see the the back end. And some sites you think, wow, this is the best put together site I've ever seen. And other sites you think, I need to uninstall 15 different plugins to get this thing ship ship shape. So that can also be a negative, though, because for someone like Mark, who knows what he's doing in his sleep, and having then being able to have 100% control is absolutely a huge benefit. But for other people, that could hinder them because they don't know actually what they're doing in the first place. And so this is kind of going to have a caveat as well. But if you buy a site that's already established, you don't have to worry as much about whether you're building the site right in the first place. That being said, if you're a complete beginner, you might not want to spend a significant amount of money on the site in the first place. So that's kind of the caveat.
0: Yeah, this is something where there's such a Big learning curve to understanding WordPress, to understanding SEO and social and how to create content that is compelling and shareable and clickable and all this stuff. Like there's so much that goes into it. And like you said, you, you'll know right off the bat, like, oh, here are 15 plugins that aren't adding value, that are just slowing down the site. Like a new person, it takes time to figure that stuff out and learn that stuff. It really is a challenge. In the early days, you almost have to do it yourself or You're at the purely investment level where it's like, I like this asset class. I want to get involved. I do not want to manage the day-to-day. Like Mark, I imagine you probably have a process and you guys talk a lot about all the site structure and setup, but like, do you have a first two or three actions once you decide on this niche, like from domain registration to like, here are the first five articles that I'm going to write. Here are the first five plugins that I'm going to install. Curious, like what foundational elements do you have to put in place? Like before you start building
1: So I think it's really important before you register the domain name is to do a very thorough keyword research and site planning. And that can take weeks sometimes. Uh, Generally, people don't spend enough time doing that. They they get eager to get started. So they're like, oh, I like dogs. I'll start a dog site and let's find a dog domain and then let's figure it out after that. There's quite a number of sites that we've actually killed because we've done our thorough research and then... Come to the conclusion that yeah, this is not. There's not really enough of a market here, or it's too competitive, or we don't really stand a chance of of ranking against some of these these sites which are, are here. How are you gauging that competitiveness? Through our keyword research process. So, I mean, there's there's multiple steps in there. I mean, th- to be honest with you, the most important thing we look at is can we make money in this in this space? There are some industries, which there's just a lot of kind of hobbyists and people really passionate about it. And it's it's very hard to compete with that from a commercial standpoint. The flip side of it is there are some spaces where they just have the top 10 results in Google are all DR 90 plus sites who have been around for 15 years and have 500 people working for them kind of thing.
0: Sure. DR meaning like domain ranking, domain authority, really well-established sites can be hard for a new, new blogger, new website builder to break in.
1: For sure. So we spend a lot of time doing that. That may include looking to see if there are smaller, lower DR sites that are ranking for some of the keywords we want to target. So if they can do it, we can do it in a not too long of a time. So that would be like one of many indicators we'd, we'd look at as well. And you can look at things like Google Trends to see, you know, is this a niche which is declining over time? Are people losing interest in it or is, it, is there growth potential here? You can even look at what sites are buying and are being bought and sold on various marketplaces to sort of gauge the the interest of people there. But basically, we spend a lot of time doing niche research. Once we've decided that, okay, yes, we want to go in here, it's really a scramble to get a basic site like a V1 up. And that would include getting a domain, installing WordPress, having a, a basic, basic theme. We would get a, like a Fiverr logo well, Fiverr.com, it probably costs about 30 to 50 bucks for a basic version. Again, in one one, one and a half years after we launch a site, we would be improving all this, you know, getting a proper rebrand. But it's just really we want to get something up there that we can start working with. And then once that site's up, it's all about, or even during during that, that site build process, we'll be starting to plan our content. So we we've already done a lot of research and figured out a bunch of keywords in the the research phase, which we hopefully did before this, but now we're looking at uh, creating a content team, creating all the the processes we need to produce content in this space. That may include buying and testing products, or it may we may need to get in some specific experts for certain certain articles. So it's all about building that foundation, that team, those people and processes that we can grow our site with in in, in the long term.
0: Yeah, and if you're the expert, you're writing this stuff yourself, and your startup costs could be less than $100. It was very low, low startup cost business. And then, and then once you kind of have some validation, then it's like, okay, yes, now we'll invest in a team of writers or hire freelancers or pay for articles just to build out this content library.
1: Yeah, I, I think the validation aspect of it can be, you don't have to necessarily wait if you, if you do enough research. Like when we launch a site, we're pretty sure that it's, it's going to work there's money in that space. Now, if you're just picking a random niche that you're interested in, then yes, you will have to wait some time to to see whether there's value there. But to be honest with you, most niches, you can pivot in a way that you can monetize them, at least to a certain extent. I think what I said before about the, the biggest risk being yourself and and giving up in those, those early stages when you've got your site, you've just written your first 10 articles, you're you're on a high, but then you suddenly like, okay, well, what do I do now? I built this blog. Like, why is no one coming to visit? And then you're like, okay, that's when the real work actually starts. So you need to do your marketing, your link building, your SEO, all your on-page optimization kind of things as well. And then you have to go and learn all these brand new skills that you've never done before and, and figure that out. So it can be, it can be a challenge for sure. Absolutely.
0: Did you know that roughly half of side hustle nation hasn't started their side hustle yet? window or maybe a target timeline for breaking even or seeing your first affiliate commissions?
1: I don't really think of it in terms of breaking even, because as you said, if you're just writing, writing it yourself, then you could break even in a few months if you're just buying a domain and some, some basic theme or whatever. Generally, if you're running it as a, a business, you know, Dom or myself, we, we would be hiring a team of writers most likely to to work on it so that obviously there is a a significant cost there as you're producing 50 100 articles and it will take take some time before you you start making your money back i I don't really think of it in terms of how long till i make that money back because the entire time you're building a site yes you're, you're you're thinking profitability but you're also building asset value so your monthly profit multiplied by let's say 35 something like that would be the value of a a reasonably good quality content site. When you make a hundred bucks, it's not like you've made a hundred bucks. It's like you've actually built a site worth three and a half grand, which is like a different kind of mindset. So if you think like that, then that can kind of pull you towards actually just like growing really, really fast or investing more in, in growth. And then rather than taking out profit as you go thinking in terms of like, how can I grow it really, really fast and pump the asset value? So it's worth, however many hundred thousand or million dollars kind of thing
0: <laughs> except you can't buy yeah you just can't buy groceries with with equity as all.
1: yeah just just one other thing to add to that if you are looking for an early lead indicator of whether your sites were taking off or not before you start getting tr- much traffic or your rankings go up if you look at search console you can see like the visibility on the on the serps so even though not that many maybe people may be clicking through it will often show you that there's a, a decent number of displays at least happening, which is a, an early lead indicator.
0: Okay, you're starting to get some impressions, whether that's page two, page three, but like people are, people are looking for this stuff and you're, you're indexed and with a little more marketing effort, you could start turning that into to clicks and commissions. Okay. Tom, what about you? So obviously on the buying side, startup costs are going to be greater in most cases, and there's probably some creative financing ways to get around that. Now, is this 35 times monthly profit a typical acquisition cost these days? Like, what's what are you seeing?
2: I, I would say that's pretty average. Multiples are all very relative. So I actually think sometimes they're a pretty basic way of valuing a, a business. But either way, that's, that's how they're valued. I think I've paid as high as 38. I've paid as low as 20. And generally, what will make me pay 38 is if i think well the site's going to be worth a lot more in a short period of time so basically you're riding the trend upwards. so i actually think i talked about this with mark on his podcast basically most of my best purchases have come where maybe a site has recently started taking off and the last month it did four grand and the month before it did three grand and the trailing six months average is two and a half grand so at that point, I don't really care whether I'm paying thirty eight or thirty two or or whatever because I know it's already probably worth more than I'm paying for it anyway, and then I can usually sell it for the same multiple I bought it for the value hopefully maintains, but yeah, as a sort of higher like a general rule probably twenty seven to thirty seven is where the market is right now,
0: yeah, which is interesting because these are monthly numbers, so like a two to three year maybe a two to four year price to earnings ratio, basically, whereas the S&P 500 is going to trade at 15 to 25 annually. So it's like, these are much faster ROI you know, type of assets, but in a lot of cases they can be riskier. Like we saw earlier this year, Amazon cutting commissions by more than half in a lot of categories. It's like, I feel really bad for the people who bought an Amazon site in February based on the earnings history. And then they're like, well, half of that just dried up. It's like, man, if you if you sunk a big amount of cash into that deal, and all of a sudden you're scrambling to to make up some of that revenue. Dom, where are you going today to start shopping, to source some of these deals?
2: Kind of everywhere. So I use the main brokers, the main marketplaces. I also have a lot of my own inbound deal flow, just people who come to me because they know they can get a maybe a quick deal, or they know that they don't have to pay a broker's fee if they come to me or they hope that i see value in their terrible site that a broker rejected definitely get a lot of them (laughs) and sometimes i do see value and it's not just me i have members on my team as well who are scouring the web finding some pretty good some pretty interesting deals but yeah what we're not doing is kind of spamming the internet trying to buy people's websites which we've tried to do and there are definitely people doing it I, i imagine I don't know, Mark, if you've ever received one of those, hey, we we buy websites emails. We found they didn't really work. So we don't do that. So it's mostly inbound and just marketplaces that we look.
0: So this would be Empire Flippers, Biz Buy Sell, Flippa, FE International. Like, are these still relevant brokers?
2: Yeah, Empire Flippers probably bought three of them this year, and FE International about the same this year but i think we bought 18 of them last year so it's a pretty good year for our relationship with them and then biz by sell they're more e-commerce businesses and we focus a little bit more on content so we don't go there as much flipper occasionally yeah it's definitely a needle and haystack situation with flipper but we do sometimes see something good it's just usually the good stuff it ends up but there was one we were looking at last week we valued it at about 150k and i think it got to 180k with 10 days left on the auction and and we were just like okay let's not follow this one anymore so flipper's not somewhere where we pick up a lot of sites from
0: in that sense because of like the bidding element is that potentially better for a seller because they're like well there's the ebay effect where this person is going to try and outbid this other person
2: yeah i mean if you have a good site i guess flipper can be better but i mean i would say most of the best sites tend to go with the higher like Empire Flippers and Effie and Occasion, Quiet, like, often get some good content sites as well. I don't know why that is. Well, I do, because you, you get an actual broker working with you rather than you just list the site and hope for the best.
0: Ever been burned by an acquisition that didn't pan out the way you expected?
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, I've never been burned in the sense that I was scammed. At least I haven't figured it out yet, if I <laughs> if I have. Okay. <laughs> but I've, I've definitely had acquisitions that didn't pan out. Yeah, It could range from something like you buy a website and then there's a Google algorithm update a couple of weeks later. And back in the day, you could just make sure that the site was white hat and you'd be all good. But now Google just throws its hammer at everybody. So that's definitely the most likely reason that your site will, your acquisition might not pan out. We've had a couple where they weren't bad purchases, but we just thought they would be better. So we thought, okay, we're going to buy this, and two or three exit in six to 12 months. And 12 months later, it's pretty much where it is when you bought it, which is not actually a bad situation. And again, if that, mean, if that means it survived that many Google updates, it's a pretty good purchase. Yeah, I think the worst one I had was I bought a site that was getting... Something like ninety percent of its traffic from Pinterest, and I thought, okay, fantastic, I don't have to fear Google. And then it got banned by Pinterest like two weeks later, oh. <laughs> and it was a six-figure purchase. But l- luckily, I got it unbanned within three to four days, so it was a stressful three to four-day period, but it recovered. So
0: okay, geez, like on the Google side, is there anything you can do as a hedge? Just I mean, imagine looking back in analytics like over the course of months and years be like well i know there was an update here i know there was an update here it seemed to have survived or even benefited from those so they're more likely to weather future storms or is there just like what comes down the road is unknowable
2: well it's all relative so you know which sites are better and, and are more likely to survive or rather you know which sites are least likely to survive and you just stay away from them but you can never know for sure. So really the hedge is to just buy sites that aren't super reliant on Google. So if if a website has a huge email list or maybe it's 50% Google, 50% Pinterest, Facebook traffic's kind of less exciting and it could be paid traffic anyway. So I think if someone sent paid Facebook traffic, it would just show up as social in their Google Analytics. So you don't even know if, if it's legit traffic, so I, I try and avoid sites with too much Facebook traffic. So basically, the more diversified a site is, the better. I mean, to be honest, so for example, Authority Hacker would be a great site, like this site where people—I don't know what percentage of your of Mark and Gail's traffic is from Google, but it's it's something where it's a brand where if they did get hit by a Google update, they would shrug it off because. Because people love them and people subscribe to their email list and they would still continue making money. Now, at the same time, they're a bad purchase because the brand wouldn't work without them. But I mean, in terms of they've got a community and an audience around them and yourself as well. So what we really like is sites where there is some element of that or we can see a relatively quick path to being able to build that. And this is something we've been trying to change and evolve over the last six months or so so now we wouldn't buy a site that was like best food for labradors because it just doesn't hit that criteria but if it's a if there was a way to actually build a community around labrador lovers and build a very large facebook group then now you're looking a little bit more hedged things like that basically
0: okay more diverse traffic streams or i don't know future proof in some way where it's they're not reliant or they're not 100% reliant on some algorithm. I don't know. I feel like I've been in that same boat where like, yeah, majority of the traffic does come from Google, but there's also a little bit of social, there's an email list, there's other elements too. So that makes that makes sense. So when you're evaluating potential purchase, look for all these different factors. I mean, there's entire episodes built around due diligence. So I encourage you to dive into some of those resources. Are there any marketplaces or brokers that you like on the lower end of the spectrum, you're talking about doing six-figure deals. I imagine for somebody's first purchase, that might be a little rich for their blood.
2: Well, so Flipper is good and bad here. It's good because they do have the smaller sites. It's bad because it's a full-time job trying to find something good on Flipper. Actually, uh, Facebook groups are increasingly good sources, and also Investors Club. I think it's Investors.club. They have some sites that maybe... I think you can pick up sites there for like 15k 20k that kind of price range whereas Facebook groups you can get sites for a couple of grand the problem is there's dozens of other buyers and they're generally not vetted so it's also a lot easier to get burned so kind of a good place to be if you've only got a small amount of money but you still you can't just buy the first site of some dude who's like oh hey I have a site here's a screenshot and then you know, you're still going to need to make sure it's actually a legit good purchase.
0: Okay. So are you seeking out groups that are sponsored by some of these marketplaces? Or these are, I'm curious, what, what I would type in to find some of these groups?
2: Yeah, I can give specifics. There's one called Flipping Websites. And Flipping Websites is actually owned by Investors Club. And basically, I think Andre moderates it. So anyone who wants to sell a site in Flipping Websites... If they want to sell it for over a certain price, he says, no, you have to come to Investors Club. And if it's below that price, you can post it in the Facebook group. So there's that one. There's another one. I think it's called Niche Website Flippers for North Americans. That one's got about 1,500 members, and I think they're mostly buyers. So there is going to be some competition. There are probably others. You could probably search for website flippers. To be honest, maybe if you're looking for a particular niche, you might want to be a bit more creative and just like, so let's say you wanted to pick up a crafting blog maybe you should join a crafting Facebook group and mention hey i'm looking to buy a website here's my budget does anyone here have one that's going to be a little bit more of a shot in the dark but you're probably going to be able to get a deal that way that other people aren't that, that you wouldn't otherwise be able to get
0: Yeah same thing in like in real estate it's like if you can find these uh, motivated sellers before anybody else does you can pick up a deal So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. Let's go on to the marketing phase of this, which we've touched on in the Google algorithm talk, the SEO and the Pinterest stuff. For Mark, I'm curious, are you doing any proactive link building in the early stage, you know, in this V1 version of the site?
1: Yes, 100%. You just can't do it until you have a, a site that looks somewhat presentable up and a decent amount of content. When we start a new website, we often forgo any kind of monetization. So we'll just put really high value info content with no ads or no pop-ups on the homepage, anything like that. So that as we're doing that early link building, people look at it. And that's the sites we're trying to, say, do a guest post on, we'll look at our site and say, oh, actually, that's really high value. They're not trying to push anything. They don't have an agenda. We're very conscious of what we need to do for link building from from right at the start. And as soon as we've built those core processes, as soon as we built the site and have the core processes, so that's the, the mostly content creation kind of stuff, up and running, we'll then start doing link building as well. And content and link building becomes the two things which you spend the most amount of time on, really.
0: Yeah, that's interesting to hear because I've actually had a similar experience where posts that I write without a ton of affiliate monetization, or at least not over the top or like super optimized, those tend to rank better, faster, attract more links. And then you can always go back in and kind of rearrange or sort through the stuff or optimize it a little bit more. But that is interesting. So you're kind of seeing the same thing where early on, don't worry about dropping an affiliate link in every paragraph. It's like just write good content and market it and then once it starts to rank, once it starts to gain traffic, then you can add in the monetization. Is that what I'm hearing?
1: To an extent, I'd say even this goes back to the the planning side of things as well. So we will consciously be creating whole areas of our of a site which is not really designed to be heavily monetized. So that would be kind of informational posts like how to train your dog or can dogs eat chocolate, things like this. And while, yes, it would be possible to put a few affiliate links in there, the buying intent isn't quite the same as an article, which would be something like best dog food for Labradors, something like that. So we tend to stagger it. So those, the, that kind of commercial content, the reviews, the roundup reviews versus keywords, alternative keywords, that all comes a little bit later after the, the core info, high value content. But you're absolutely right. You can go and add monetization back to your info content later on as it's, as it's taken off. But yeah, it's not something I would, I would worry about in the first place. You can also, as you're doing that, go back and see which of the info articles have a lot of links and then start doing some internal linking and start maybe pushing some of your commercial content, which you're producing later, once that's once that's up and running as well. OK, yeah. In the in the
0: personal finance space, we talked about this recently. It was like you can't come out of the gate with Wealthfront versus Betterment or Swagbucks review, it's like, you know, you got to kind of lay out your philosophy on personal finance. How do you help people? You can add in this, like you said, the commercial content a little bit later. Dom, for you, like upon acquisition, any quick wins that you attempt to make to a new site? Or is it just kind of like, okay, it's ours now. Let's see how it performs. Curious what, what the first few weeks of an acquisition
2: look like. Yeah, it really varies. Some sites, there are definitely quick wins. And others, it's more of a long-term thing. So some examples are, my favorite one is basically a website that has a lot of traffic and it's just monetized with affiliate links and you just add some display ads to it. So for example, AdThrive or Mediavine or Ezoic, depending on the, the traffic. And I've had some pretty good success with that. There's always a fear that when you do that, it's going to take away some of the user experience and potentially maybe tank the site in the next Google update. I've never really seen any evidence of that, and we've done it probably about a dozen times now. But that being said, if a site's only getting like 50,000 page views a month, I might not bother. Well, it depends, actually. Let's say a site's making 10K a month off just 50,000 page views, which can happen. It's rare, but it can happen. Adding display ads to that site is only going to add like five hundred dollars a month. So is it worth risking completely screwing up the user experience just to add another like five percent to the income? Whereas another site, it might double or triple the income. So it's it's worth taking that risk. So it's kind of a a trade-off, yeah.
0: So when you see this come across the marketplace and they post their traffic numbers and you don't see an ad thrive or a display ad on the page, you're just like, oh I can acquire this for whatever 35 multiple and immediately add this asset value to it just by just by adding a few lines of code.
2: Yeah, I mean assuming that the site is still good. Like you're not gonna buy a garbage site and do that. I, I tried that and it didn't work. <laughs> Basically the it made a bit of money and then it sort of tanked in the next update. If all else is equal and the site's good, then that's something where you would lick your lips and think, okay, this is maybe this is even worth paying thirty eight X for. Another easy one that is harder to, you rarely come across them now because sellers are generally more sophisticated, but often there's sites where they rank really well for a buying intent keyword, but they just haven't optimized the page at all. There's no comparison tables. There's like three affiliate links on a 5,000 word article. And so you never know until you test it, but you can have a pretty good idea that you can spend a few hours going through the top pages doing these tweaks and, and you can, again, sometimes double the income. These are rarer though because generally the average site that's for sale, sellers are pretty good these days uh, just because well, people like Mark and Gail share really good training and so there's a lot more people that know what they're doing. And so they generally the sites are already optimized. Another quick win would be... Sometimes we, particularly if we're buying a site from like a mum blogger, generally it might be like a recipe website or a crafting website, DIY, that kind of thing. A lot of them have huge email lists because for whatever reason, maybe they only email them once a week. And every time they email them, they make some money. So we just say, great, let's just email them five times a week instead. That's something that is really good. Now, what's not good is they when they say... They've got a hundred thousand subscribers and they've never been emailed because, for me, I think great. So you've got a hundred thousand spam email addresses or something, and so that's more of a risk.
0: Or they're just yeah, they're not used to hearing from you. They're like, wait, wait, what did, what did I sign up for this again? Yeah, Marcus spam.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: Okay, I like that. Adding the display ads if there's traffic there, optimizing the existing content, which is as simple as going into the Google Analytics. Hey, what pages get the most traffic? If they're buyer intent pages, adding the affiliate links or making those more prominent. And then uh, just seeing what else could be done with the existing assets that the business has, be it the email list or whatever else is going on there. Mark, anything for you on the on the marketing side that would be considered a quick win for a new webmaster?
1: I don't think new webmasters should pursue quick wins at all. I think they need to build a solid foundation of good people, good processes, and focus on long-term value. If you're starting a site trying to get quick wins or get rich quick, it's probably not going to work out very, very well for you, at least in the, the long run. I think one mistake I see a lot of people making in in the early stages, is kind of like shiny object syndrome. So they see, oh, so-and-so has a course, or this other website started a podcast and does really well, or they have a free Facebook group, or they're running this mastermind, or whatever other kind of memberships this is another good one like slightly different kind of business model they see or traffic source they see people focusing on is they they kind of jump over to the next one and think oh that's going to be the solution to my problems when in fact once you've set up your website and you have your your content and your link building processes kind of churning along continuously it gets to be a little bit boring it's a grind at that point and uh, you just have to to grind it out until you get to that point where your, your site starts to take off, which can be six months, 12 months, two years sometimes. So for that reason, I, I don't think it's really worth trying to get any any kind of quick wins out of this. The one exception to that, and it goes back to what I said before, is if you need some kind of motivation boost to keep working on it. In, in which case then, yeah, you should, you should try and do something to at least get your first few visitors or get to be engaging, engaging with your audience in some way so that it feels like there's real people that you're you're doing all this stuff for as opposed to just six people in google analytics or whatever you have at at that stage
0: yes just blogging blogging into a vacuum oh my gosh been there yeah what works for you during this six months to two years time frame that seems like a tremendous amount of time to be putting in the hours like i got into this for the for the quote passive income like when does does that does that does that ever come
1: I mean, it depends what you mean by passive income. There, there are varying degrees of, of passiveness, as, as it were. Certainly with some of the sites that we've ran, there have been periods when we've just not worked on the site for four, five, six months at a time. Sometimes they go down a little bit, or it's not really them going down, but the competitors are keep working on their site, so they kind of start growing, and maybe overtake you a little bit. But you can certainly coast a lot, with a website which is more established you certainly can't do that in the first year it's very unlikely at least that you're going to be be able to do that but you're you're still running an active business right you're never at that stage where it's just like you log in and check your bank account once a month and and see what's what's going on it's not like a index fund investment or something like that which which would be much more passive in that sense
0: yeah the asset is still there but your competitors aren't standing still. And that's what I've found too. It's like not always about creating the next new piece of content, but going back and updating something that you wrote a couple of years ago to make sure that it is still relevant, that it's still seen as being recently published or recently updated in the eyes of Google, like all that stuff. It's easier than starting from scratch for sure, but it is still this ongoing maintenance work. I don't know, Dom, are you seeing the same thing with like ongoing content demands for acquisitions or... Are you more in that coasting stage because it's a more established property?
2: A bit of both. And kind of, I actually want to go back to what Mark said. I actually agree about there's a shiny object syndrome and you shouldn't try and do too many quick wins. So I know I gave three, but I would also say there's also a lot of stuff I don't do when I first take over a site. And aside from those three that I listed, there aren't many things. And I think it's very dangerous to come in and try and change a site too much because there's more that can go wrong that can go Right. So what we normally do is, aside from what I mentioned, we'll just do an audit of a site. It's like taking over a new piece of real estate. You finally get the keys and you have to go around, figure out which light bulbs work and which are broken and so on. So we will do a technical audit and clean up any indexing issues or on-page SEO issues. Usually there's a speed issue and there's a plug-in audit that needs to be done and then various other things. And then from there, it probably is quite similar to the kind of boring stage that mark just described some sites it is just a case of just smashing them with more content which can be the same frequency as you would with a new site like maybe 10 articles a week some sites Maybe they've already got 500 articles, and so more articles aren't going to move the needle as much. So maybe for those sites, what you want to do is focus on on SEO or on doing some of the other things I talked about earlier, like trying to diversify the the asset more. So that could be building an email list or something. You know, we we had one site we picked up in December last year, which we have done content, and I think we've probably done about 20 articles since December but we've x the the daily email subscribers. So we've, we've gone from, I think it was getting 10 emails a day, subscribers a day, to now it's getting about 100 to 120 a day. And the email list has gone from making a couple of hundred bucks a month to a couple of grand a month. So the, the focus there has not been content at all, really. We've just been adding content because we were like, oh, there's some articles that need to be written. But this site gets a million page views a month. So an extra 50 articles... I'm not gonna move the needle really.
0: Was that creating content upgrades? Was that just like more prominently featuring the lead magnet throughout the pages? Curious, like, what? What 10x those uh, that sign up rate?
2: Yeah, it was an iterative process. I think we originally just 3x it, and then from there we got it to 10x. Essentially, it was more lead magnets and better lead magnets. And so there's hundreds of articles on this site already. So we went through the the top ones in Google Analytics. And first of all, we were like, okay, what generic lead magnets can we create that maybe cover the majority of this traffic? So we only have to create like three lead magnets rather than like 200. And then for the other pages, we created individual lead magnets. And then it was a case of split testing and seeing which ones perform better. And so, I mean, it took probably three or four months to to reach this. And then now we're at the stage where we're seeing, well, certainly magnets are converting better into info products and than others. So it's not just the case of trying to get more leads. You also need to get leads that are going to buy stuff and go through the funnel. So, yeah, there's. it's been a really do something, see how it goes and do something else. But because the website gets so much traffic, you find out within a week whether or not something's worked. So it's uh, it's actually a really fun site to work on.
0: Sure. And I, I think that's been a really important point to make. Like if you're at 100 visits a day and you're thinking like, oh, I need split testing. It's like, no, just more content, more traffic. Like worry about split testing at Elevation later. I want to talk about the monetization side. So we've talked about affiliate commissions. We've talked about display ads. And you just touched on an interesting one, which was digital products. Is this something that either of you are actively creating for these assets or is this kind of like if it was if it was already included in the site that we bought sure i'll keep selling it i'm curious where that comes into play whether that's courses or paid ebooks or anything like that
1: yeah so i mean i think digital products are by far the highest roi highest potential ceiling that you can you can get out of I mean, there are a few niches which are just like insane, have insane affiliate commissions and stuff. But by and large, digital products are the, the amount of money you can make that is staggering, and it can be quite fun to to create them. Again, it relies on a larger site. You need to have a an existing audience that you likely built up for for a period of time. It's a real slog to create them. It's a real slog to update them, maintain them, figure out all the. Sales funnels and it's a a whole different skill set other than creating the course itself, but yeah, they are amazing we We do a lot of those on on authority hacker that's the primary way that 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 site makes money. Don, what about you?
2: Yeah, I agree, like it wasn't something I mentioned in my quick wins because I think one of the biggest ways people. Can go wrong when buying a site is saying this site's terrible. I'm just going to improve its funnel and I'm going to make all these digital products, and then it will be a good site. Because, as Mark said, it's a slog, and half the time you you get it wrong. But for the sites where we either already have an email list or we think this site should totally have an email list, so it doesn't just review like random products. It's not like the wire cutter or something. Then it's something we'll do. So I have like one person on my team whose job is to just handle that and so sometimes we will create our own digital products and other times we'll just try to integrate existing ones and sometimes we'll validate the demand with an existing one and then we'll create a better one we bought one site and it was promoting a product that basically paid a six dollar commission and it wasn't that good but people bought it every time we emailed so we just made a better version and charged twenty dollars for it so we effectively quadrupled the income it wasn't the, the main income owner for the site though so it's not like we quadrupled the site but yeah it is a slog so we we try to find ways to get shortcuts which might be finding an existing offer that works or it might be i mean it's something i'm trying right now and i haven't completed the process yet is i'm just trying to get other people to create courses for me and just give them a share so maybe like if you had a fitness blog just go on instagram find someone who takes pictures of themselves which i think there's there's a few of them on instagram just say hey you have a course already can i white label it or should we jv or something and then you don't have to have the cost or the hassle of creating it and again i we're literally trying this right now so I, it may completely fail but i think it could be an interesting angle
1: it's difficult to get that right because you i mean it depends on the niche if you if it's something somewhat evergreen like fitness you could say Teaching piano, yeah. But if it's anything where they're using kind of some kind of software that updates, like online marketing, it's really difficult to do that because you need someone really part of your core team to to be up, updating that content. Especially once you get sort of beyond the ebook or the the two hundred dollar price range and, and above, it can get very difficult to to update it. So good good luck with that, Dom.
0: <laughs> yeah, you got to refilm everything. The so the interface changes. It's like oh i just i just made this anything else on the monetization side mark that you guys consider a must-have or a at least must test for a content site
1: not really to be honest i I think it's really important that when you're starting out usually for the first couple years you pick one one primary monetization strategy and you just go full in on that if you try and create a course and uh membership and an ebook and whatever else all at the same time as you're doing your affiliate marketing and getting a lot of traffic so you can do display ads you're likely to not do any of those one things particularly well the really successful sites out there tend to figure out one thing that they can do and just they're so good not because they have a, a good idea but because they execute on that idea very very well far better than their, their competition and they just do it for so long get so good at it, and it becomes very difficult to, for someone else to come along and say, oh, I'll just make a course teaching the same thing. It's not that easy. It's going to be a, a huge learning curve to, to get up to the, the same level. So you can really kind of build that barriers to entry around your business by being very, very good at execution in that
0: sense. I like it. Let's do some closing arguments here on on the buying side. Um, what do you think would tilt someone in favor of that direction versus building their own.
2: I mean, I still build as well, so I'm not going to be very good at this argument. I guess if someone wants to, it really depends what kind of money they're talking about as well. So maybe I'll just cover different scenarios. So let's say someone's got like 20K and they want to learn by tinkering with something that's already there and they don't mind if they lose 5K, then maybe they should try and pick up a small site and have the other money to go towards growing it, I would say that they should definitely take a, a course and not just fall around because they'll probably end up wasting that money. Now, if someone's got like 100k, then they even need to know what they're doing, or they need to work with someone who does. And so that's not so much a plug, but it's just kind of reality. So if someone is a beginner and they want to learn the ropes, then they should probably build. And there that, that could even be a hybrid where let's use 100k as an example again or actually maybe use 50k because it's probably a number more people can relate to you could buy a site for 10k and then you've got 40k to spend developing it which is almost the same as building but you've just skipped maybe 6 to 12 months of impatience and then it's a toss-up because you know mark's argument would probably be well if you're going to start from a site that low, you might as well start from zero and not give up the control and have to spend six months undoing someone else's work. So it's really it's really hard for me to make the case here, I guess. I just think it's more of a an investment versus an operation decision.
0: And this is something that Onfolio specializes in, where it's like, if I don't want to be involved at all, I can just send you money and your team will run this and, and distribute dividends, right?
2: In our group buys, that's how it works. There's also people who are individuals and who want to buy sites, and they don't send us the money. They they buy the site themselves, and we bill them for our services. So there's a well-known company who did it the other way around who are no longer a well-known company, and I don't think that's the right way to do it. Essentially, we would be like the property manager or the asset manager type person if it was a real estate deal.
0: Okay, so a couple different angles there. You know, One with a lower upfront investment and the other one where it's like, yeah, I'm buying this rental property to use your analogy and then hiring your team that knows what they're doing already to run in management. So I like that. I like that angle too. Mark, how about closing arguments on the building side, starting from scratch, getting your education, earning it?
1: So I think if you are trying to bypass the the time element, there certainly can be a significant amount of when starting a, a new site, if you're trying to bypass that so you somehow learn faster, you have to be prepared to lose most of your initial investment if you make a bad, bad purchase. You're, if you spend 50, 100 grand on a, on a site and you don't know what you're doing, there's a, a really significant chance that you're going to buy a lemon or mismanage it and run it into the ground so it's a pretty expensive education in in that sense Uh, and you may not even learn what you you did wrong so i i mean just be very very careful if you are still somehow determined to do it because you have loads of money and you just love the risk partner up with someone that does know what they're doing so they can they can guide you through it that's uh, that's really really good advice i would say though that if you if you're a beginner then I really don't see the the value in buying a site. I think it's much better just to, to start start from scratch. You don't need to risk all that upfront capital. You're not saving that much time in, in doing it. And you may end up not having to undo someone else's bad site structure or content, which you later find out is, is kind of hampering you in some way. I just think that if you're going to start a business, if you're going to really take it seriously and, and grow it significantly then you need to really know it inside out and you're just not going to do that if you buy an existing site because you're not going to have done that niche and keyword research thoroughly enough in the beginning, in, in most cases. The caveat to all that is if you really do know what you're doing and you've run multiple sites and you know how all this works, then you know have at it, go, go buy as many sites as you want. There are a lot of people out there who are buying sites, making a decent amount of money, flipping them or just growing and holding them. It's definitely a thing. Those are kind of two sides of that coin. Very much appreciated. Appreciate
0: both of you guys joining me. Mark is at authorityhacker.com. You can check out all of their uh, training materials over there. Again, one of the resources that I refer to over and over again for all the stuff that we're talking about. I love geeking out on this stuff with you guys. Check out the Authority Hacker podcast. Dom is at onfolio.co. Dom, really appreciates you joining us. Should note, it's almost midnight in Taiwan where Dom is early morning here in California and uh, late afternoon in the UK. So we're, we're spanning the globe on this one and really appreciate you guys taking the time to nerd out on some website stuff with me. That is it for me. Thanks so much. We'll catch up with you soon. Hey, just a couple notes before we wrap up. I know there were several websites and Facebook groups mentioned. and I've done my best to link those up for you in the show notes for this episode at sidehustlenation.com slash showdown4. Again, big thanks to Blinkist for sponsoring this episode. Blinkist.com slash sidehustle to start working through your reading list backlog with their professionally done book summaries. And if you liked this episode or anything else you've heard on the Side Hustle show so far, be sure to share it with a friend and hit that subscribe button in your podcast player app. Overcast, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you like to listen, If you're in overcast, you can hit the little star button to recommend the episode, which may help the show's visibility in the app. So thank you for that. In any case, that is it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen. And I'll catch you in the next edition of the Side Hustle Show, where you'll meet the husband and wife team who spent more money on bras than they did on their house. I'll see you then. Hustle on.